Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence here this morning. It is a privilege to be together. And it is only by your grace that we can even be in your presence because of your holiness. Our sinfulness and your holiness are God's. We thank you for your mercy. Your mercy, which does not give us what we deserve, which is eternal punishment and separation from you, but your grace, which gives us what we don't deserve, this, this relationship with you, this privilege to come into your presence. And Father, I consider it a privilege this morning to stand here with your word and open it together with my brothers and sisters, and I just pray that as we look at your word this morning that we would hear your voice. Please Take away everything that is not you so that we might hear the truth this morning, the truth which strengthens our hearts, the truth which garrisons our minds and protects us from the lies of the world. I pray that you would instruct us this morning, Father, care for us and encourage us as we spend this time around your word. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a seat. <clears throat> it was uh, it was two or three months ago when Webster's Dictionary came out with the word of the year for 2020. Now, every year they do this. Uh, I guess I haven't really been paying attention, but every year they do this, and they came out a couple of months ago and said, the word of the year for 2020 is pandemic. Like, no creativity in that place, I'll tell you. Melody and I were talking about it, and she said, the word of the year shouldn't be pandemic, it should be unprecedented. (laughs) Because it seems like all these things have been happening that, that we've never faced before. This past year has been one of adjustments And there's an acronym that has been making the rounds, a very trendy acronym in managerial circles, and it's the acronym VUCA. VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And what VUCA means is Everything is constantly changing around us all the time, and it's, it's too hard to keep track of what's going on. It really came into being back in the 80s, and the U.S. Army War College introduced the concept as they were discussing how to deal with the new realities of the Cold War being over. You see, the, the world had been used to the status quo for so long And all of a sudden, things over in those Eastern Bloc countries started to change. Walls started to figuratively and literally come down. And people started rising up and asserting their independence. And the power of the communist empire started to dissolve. And the U.S. intelligence service was looking at it all and saying, we don't know how to navigate this because it's changing so fast and it's all so different. VUCA refers to a string of complicated and constantly changing unknowns. We could relate it even to our own lives and say it's the, it's the perfect storm of circumstances that hit families and people groups and churches even. Harvard Business Review was talking about VUCA 
recently as a catch-all, and they summarized it this way. Instead of saying volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, we could just say, hey, it's crazy out there. We don't know what's going to happen next. And that's certainly a good description of our world. There's so much going on. It's so tough to keep up with what's happening in the, the political landscape and our economy and the virus and health concerns and what's happening in our schools and what's happening to our children. Pending legislation and laws, it's even affected us as a church, hasn't it? With restrictions and regulations on our worship. And it can all be very overwhelming. I don't know about you, but when I sit down and I look at everything that's going on, my mind just works in categories. I like to organize things, and it's hard for me to figure out where to put all these things. It's hard to figure out what categories all these things should fit into. And we have to wrestle with it all. And so the question is, how do we handle that? How do we handle everything that's happening and, and how do we process it in our minds because it can be discouraging or it could be overwhelming. It, it, we might look at it and we just say, it, it's too much. And we need hope and we need encouragement in the midst of tumultuous times. And this morning, if you believe in coincidences, which I do not in these regards, but this morning... We happen to find ourselves in the book of Nahum. Nahum is the seventh of the 12 minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. And you know, if you've been here, we have figured out that these are not minor prophets for any other reason besides the length of their book. Their, their message certainly isn't minor. And what they're trying to tell us and their importance is not. We know very little about Nahum. We could dig and dig and dig, and we would find that he is only mentioned once in the entire Word of God. You know where that is? Nahum. <laughs> Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, is the only place that Nahum is ever mentioned. We don't know anything else about him. We really don't even know much about the little community that he says he's from. We, we just don't know a lot about him. But we do know this, Nahum's prophecy is for Nineveh. 100 years after the book of Jonah. And Nineveh, which is a very powerful city or was a very powerful city in the Assyrian Empire, is terrorizing and threatening the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Assyria was a very powerful dynasty in Nahum's day and age, and he is foretelling the destruction of this dynasty. Nahum's purpose for writing is to tell Judah that Assyria is going down. They're going to be destroyed. And in the middle of all the turmoil, in the middle of being terrorized, in the middle of being threatened by Assyria, Judah is asking, what do we do? What are we supposed to do here? Where do we go? How do we survive all of this? And it's for that reason that I believe that the message of Nahum was not just a message for Judah, but it's a message for us too. I think Nahum could have been writing this book today. And we could subtitle the book of Nahum, How Do We Survive? The answer to that question, of course, is that the Lord is our shelter during the storms of life. How do we survive? 
Well, only by the strength and the power and the protection of God. Now, two weeks ago, Tim took us through the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah, as you know, if you were there that Sunday, or if you know anything about Jonah, you know that Jonah was commissioned to share the gospel with the wicked city of Nineveh. And as Tim showed us, Jonah took kind of a, you know, roundabout route to get there. But ultimately, he did. He preached the gospel to the city of Nineveh. In Jonah chapter 3, we would read that there. And ultimately, the whole city was transformed. If, if it was happening today, we probably would have said a revival broke out in Nineveh. And the whole city turned to God. You read there, tens of thousands of people repented of their sin, and they were saved. If you look there and you read that again, you'll see they were worshiping God. They were, they were expressing sorrow for their sin, and they were asking for God's forgiveness. And, of course, he did forgive them. But something happened over the next 100 years in the city of Nineveh. Instead of continuing on in their faith, instead of continuing to walk with God and continuing to be sorry for their sin and continuing to seek his guidance and to worship him, Nineveh returned to paganism. They returned to sin. They returned to rebellion. They returned to cruelty. And if you were to do a little digging, even today, historians recognize the cruelty and the brutality of the Assyrian Empire. They were terrible, terrible people. And even in this, before we even get to what we really want to talk about, even in this, there is a message for us. For you this morning who are adults, parents, or grandparents, you need to understand this, and we need to understand this. That just because we are walking with God, we cannot presume that our children and our grandchildren will continue to walk with God. We cannot pre presume that. Jonah 3 makes it very clear. There was true repentance. There was true repentance. They were certainly sorry for their sin. But a hundred years later, there was paganism and ungodliness. It didn't carry over. They didn't pass down the truth to the next generations. The last couple of weeks, I've read a book that I know a few others of you have read as well. It's called Live Not By Lies by a man by the name of Rod Dreher. And Rod Dreher spent weeks and weeks and months interviewing hundreds of people in these former Eastern Bloc communist countries, asking them about how they survived, how their faith remained intact over the years. And he talked about family, and at one point he said this, the days of living like everyone else and hoping our kids turn out for the best are over. We used to be able to send our kids out. We used to be able to send them off to school, send them out into the neighborhood, and know that there were other people looking out for them the same way that we were, that there were other people teaching them the same principles and truths that we teach them in our homes. That's no longer the case, my friends. Those days are over. We need to carefully, methodically, intentionally teach our children and pass it on to the next generation because if we do not, we will end up like Nineveh. Our families will end up like Nineveh. We'll say, but we walk with God. 
That is no guarantee that our children and grandchildren will. God gives mercy, but there will always be justice in the end. And that's what was happening to Nineveh. In chapter 1 of Nahum and verse 2, Nahum says this, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in a whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. That's not exactly the most comforting passage of Scripture we've ever read together, is it? This is what Nahum is saying. This is the terrifying judgment of God. If we wanted to take the next half hour, we could read all three chapters of the book of Nahum, and we would see blistering wrath and judgment from God. That's the entire book. This is a brutal prophecy of what was to come for Nineveh. Professor of Old Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary, Richard Pratt, said this about Nineveh. He said, Nineveh was a wicked, imperialistic, deceitful metropolis with an arrogant, unscrupulous hunger for power and domination. I'm reading that quote to you this morning because I think it describes another system of power as well, not just Nineveh. But this terrifying nation was threatening to swallow Judah up. They were on the verge of being overwhelmed. They feared for their livelihoods, their families, and their safeties, and they wondered what hope they would have to survive. They're a tiny little group. And so God gave Judah two things on which they could put their hope. Number one is this, and I want you to be mindful of these two things. We'll come back to them in a moment. First one is this, that no power or nation or system or person that defies God will escape his judgment. No power, nation, system, or person that defies God will escape his judgment. And Nahum pronounces that judgment on Nineveh. And here's the second thing. For everyone who trusts God, there is safety and protection. That's the one ray of light in this book. If you read this book, there's only one spot where you can take a breath. And it's verse 7. One verse of hope. The Lord is good, Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. 
Now, I want you to notice, depending on what translation you're reading or looking at this morning, that the word Lord is probably in all capital letters. We've looked at this before. This is the same word that we saw last week in Micah chapter 6 when Micah said, what does the Lord require of you? And you remember we said the word Lord there is the word Yahweh. Yahweh is a very difficult name of God to define. There's a lot of ideas surrounding it. But basically what we need to understand is this is the name that God chose for himself. When he decided to reveal himself, he chose this word, Yahweh. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 to Adam, he said, Worship me, Adam, Yahweh, your creator. In Genesis chapter 12, to Abraham, he said, I am Yahweh, the one who will establish your family. And in Exodus chapter 3, to Moses, he said, I am Yahweh, the one who will preserve Israel. And this same God, what Nahum is telling them is that this same God, Yahweh, the creator, the establisher, the preserver of the nation of Israel, he is good. He is good. The Lord is good. He's kind. He's gracious. He's just. He is holy. My friends, when we find ourselves in these places where we are overwhelmed, it is absolutely critical that we remember who God is. Mike said it well for us earlier when he said, when our God is big, our problems are small. The problem for us when we become overwhelmed is that we are looking at what's happening around us instead of looking at God. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus was separated from his disciples and they were in the boat and it was incredibly stormy? And they feared for their lives. And they looked, and Jesus came, and he was walking on the water. Do you remember that story? And Peter said, is that you, Lord? You remember what Jesus said? Come on, Peter. And Peter stepped over the gunwale to walk across the water to Jesus, who was calling him. And what happened? Peter started thinking about what he was doing. He started looking around. He saw the waves, and he heard the wind whistling in his ears, and he started to drown. He started to sink, and Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. Nahum's encouragement for Judah was this. Remember that God is good. Remember that he is just and he is holy, but he is also gracious and merciful and loving. I understand that not everything in our lives goes the way that we want it to go. I don't know if we're all like Mike, where that's all that ever happens in his life, apparently. But it happens, doesn't it? This is not what I signed up for. 
mentioned it before, but my favorite Bible study book that Melody has ever done with her ladies years and years ago, when I saw it and the mail showed up, I looked at the title and I just laughed. The name of the book was, This Is Not the Life I Signed Up For. And we feel that, don't we? This is not the life I signed This is not what I wanted. This is not what is good. This is not what is enjoyable. This is not what is comforting. When life is not good, we need to remember that God is good. He's a stronghold, Nahum says, a stronghold in the day of trouble. The word stronghold literally means a fortress, a defense. The implication here is that God is a place of safety and a place of protection. The God who created you will establish you, and will preserve you. That's his message to Judah. I love the last phrase of this verse as well. He knows those who take refuge in him. God does not forget who his people are. Because that's the other thing that runs through our minds, isn't it? Right after, this isn't the life that I signed up for, the next thought that runs through our mind is, is God. Doesn't God know what I'm going through? Doesn't he see this? Doesn't he know what's happening? God does not forget who his people are. He knows those who take refuge in him. He knows intimately those who trust him. In the middle of their fear and their distress and their anxiety, Judah, Judah was worried that God didn't even know who they were anymore. That he would lose track of them. And that they would be swallowed up in the VUCA. That they would be swallowed up in the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity. But Nahum assured them, that God never forgets his own. And this message of hope in the midst of chaos is directly applicable to us. This is a message for you. This is a message for your life. It's a message for my life. Because we can look around us and we can say, we are not the majority here. Has anybody ever thought about that over the last few months? We are not the majority here. People that believe the way that we do, that believe in the objective standard of the truth of God's word and have a desire to live for that truth and morality, we are outnumbered. This is a message for us. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. See, I want you to understand this morning, folks, that the Lord can be your shelter in the storms of life. In the times when you are overwhelmed, 
when it seems like the chaos of the world is going to swallow you up, when it seems like the waves are going to drown you. Life is hard. And the society that we live in is not trending in the right direction. So how can we resist spiritual and cultural compromise? How can we keep going? I want to suggest to you this morning that you need to cling to these two truths, that I need to, that we need to together cling to these two truths. No earthly system that defies God will escape his judgment there will be justice in the end. My men's group that meets on Wednesday nights, we've been reading through the book of Revelation. We just read through the last four chapters last week, and we talked about them. In Revelation chapter 18, John describes there the city called Babylon. And he describes its wickedness. He describes its sinfulness. He describes its evil. And then he describes its demise. And in Revelation 18 and verse 10, he says this, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. This entire world system is going down. God is going to wipe it out. He's going to clean the slate. And for all the people in this world right now that are working so hard to, to, to fabricate this system that they think is going to revolutionize our world, God is going to take it down in one hour. It is going to be gone. Shortly after that, in the book of Revelation in, verse, in chapter 20, we read about the great white throne judgment, a terrifying judgment of God that those of us who have trusted Christ, we, we will not be present, thankfully. But in that moment in Revelation 20 at the great white throne judgment, the scripture says that the dead, all of those who have rejected God over the centuries, small and great, will stand before him. And the books will be opened. And he will judge them according to their works. No earthly system that defies God will escape his judgment. We need to cling to that truth. Number two... We need to cling to this truth. If you trust God, he will preserve and protect you. He watches over his own. In John chapter 10, if you read that chapter, Jesus is calling himself the good shepherd. And in John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. I'm the one who's in control, and I'm the one that cares for you, and I know exactly who you are. I think I've said this before, but when we were younger and Tim's dad was 
a dairy farmer and had his dairy herd and we had the <clears throat> privilege of helping him hay and all those other things that I so love to do and I, and I long for in my later twilight years to go back and hay again. Uh, we would go out and we would be working there on the farm and all the cows would be out in the pasture and, and I have to be honest with you, every single cow looks exactly the same to me. Now, I know some of them are black and white, and some of them are brown. I don't mean, but you know, we had black and white ones, Tim, right? We had Holsteins, I believe. And they had all these patterns and shapes all over them, and, and it just looked like 50 black and white cows to me. But we would be out there, and Tim's dad would be out there, and he would be walking around, and they would be all coming up toward the elk, they all knew when it was time for milking and they would start gathering by the barn and, and Tim's dad would go up to him and say, well, hi, Molly, hi, Sally, hi, Matilda, whatever their names were. He knew exactly who they were. He recognized every one of them and called them by name. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving us here. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. I know exactly who you are. That's what Jesus says to you this morning. Remember this, my friends. He knows exactly who you are. He knows everything that is going on in your life. He understands it well. Later in that same chapter, verse 28 of John 10, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. You probably are familiar with these verses, but I just wanted to close this morning by reading them for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No earthly system will escape his judgment. But if you trust him, he will preserve and protect you. Friends, we will survive. We will survive because of the grace of Jesus Christ.